You may have heard of us, but you might not know Bank First is a community bank that has no fee ATM access, interest and perks earning checking accounts. With online and mobile banking, mortgages for every stage of life, and modern business banking for businesses, small and big. We keep it all together to put you first. Do you bank with us? You should. Bank First is an equal housing lender and a member FDIC. Well, welcome to Sunday Coffee. Well, it's a beautiful day here in downtown Startville. Not a cloud in the sky, Charlie. Sun came up this morning. Just stop. No. Just stop. If ever there was a fake happy out of you, this is it. No. I, now, you're trying to come in, Mr. Positive. You know, the, it's, a long, it's a beautiful day, great day for baseball, all that. I get 54 it. games left in the season, Charlie. We got 54 games is left. Is that a complaint or just an observation? So, I, I've got my strange brew coffee this morning that was fantastic. Hey, by the way, I didn't get a thank you from you yesterday for bringing a coffee pot. That was a power move. It was a power move. I got Shout a, out to the Dollar General. Yes, I've got a. In Nanawoya. <laughs> who knew? Absolutely. Our lives have changed now that the DG came to downtown Nanawoya. So I got the uh, the cheap coffee pot, so we don't have to go steal it from the club anymore. <laughs> so. That's good. The coffee hadn't been great down there, so yeah, I was feeling good about that. You also brought me a Mississippi State mug. Yes, I did. And I also had the Strange Brew coffee that I put in the booth. And so we we're drinking Strange Brew coffee as we we're broadcasting. And that's why I think we feel so positive when we're in the booth. Yesterday was a positive day for us in the booth yesterday. No, we had some hiccups, to be honest with you. Hey, let me tell you this. This is going to be, I think, which I think what today should be, Charlie, is before every game you have a scouting report. And everybody gets together and you talk about the opposing team and then you start thinking back to these are things that we can improve on from the previous game. Coach Polk always had a little sheet that he would stand in front of the room and he would say, we, this is what we did today. He would never name a player, but he would always say, okay, we missed the bunt sign on 1-1. Well, not Coach Polk because he never bunted. No, say, well, there you go. Yeah. Anyway, we missed the hit and run on 2-2, but he never would call out the person. And so I think today, Charlie, correct me if you think we should do something different. So you're going to go Ron Polk. I've, I'm thinking maybe I'll go Augie Garrido, <laughs> John Cohen right here. What you're saying is is your route is after the game yesterday, you're doing about $50,000 worth of damage to the post to the locker room. Is that what you're saying? I, I'm just saying this. When you go in the locker room now, you will see so-and-so has their name on a locker. Okay, you might have the Barton Jen Gregory locker. Yes. Because you sponsored it. I would just think that – the balance of my morning would be calling some of those people, <laughs> one, apologizing, and two, seeing if there was any more availability on their gift to help repair the damage <laughs> to said locker. No, you know me, Bart. I'm, I am a, I'm a glass is 50% of capacity guy. I'm not a half full. I'm not half empty. I just tell it like it is, sports fans. And the immediate reaction, I do agree with you. Let's let's do what you say. But here's the thing that I want to say as a predicate. It is very easy to look at that ball game and say that was on pitching. It's very easy to say we didn't pitch well. If we, and we didn't. We walked 12 guys. That's You can't do that. 
But I think that overlooks some other things that have to be fixed. So what I would like, and, and let me be clear, they can be fixed. A lot of things that I've got on my list to talk about today are fixable, but they have to be fixed because there are things we did yesterday that even if we had thrown strikes, we would lose to a good team doing. I agree with that. And I think yesterday. Yeah, it's not the end of the world. Let me let me be clear. It's not the end of the world. Now, this is a loss that you're going to have to tote around with you. This was a team last year in VMI that had a had an RPI at the end of the year at 236. Now, we had an RPI of 110. But, I mean, so. I think this team is better than they were a year ago, mostly because they've got a lot of guys back. It's a very junior-heavy team. I don't think they're bad hitting. I don't think they're bad position-wise. Their pitching is not good. It's not, and I don't know how good their hitting is. At one time yesterday, they had 13 runs on five hits. 13 runs on five hits, and that was middle innings whenever that was. Well, they didn't have to hit. No, they, they didn't. I mean, the point of that is you can say, well, they weren't hitting. They didn't get much of a chance sometimes. They didn't. And so, of course, hey, we, we talked about Strangebridge just a second ago. Before we jump into this, let's talk about something positive before we get into our scouting report. Strange is going to be constructive. It is. It's going to be good. Much like the people down at Strangebridge yes. are constructive, constructing a new location. And they constructed a new location in Tuscaloosa. They constructed a great cup of coffee for me this morning. And it was my blueberry-flavored coffee. I didn't go any other route today. I went with the Old Faithful. You know, they wrote on my cup, cheer up. I wonder what that was about. <laughs> you walked in with doom and gloom this morning? Apparently. Yeah. And also, you know, how about, you know, you looked at me yesterday after the ball game. said, hey, you want to go ahead and knock out the podcast? I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> today, today, yeah, yesterday was a day that I did not emotionally need to come in here. I don't think we either, either one of us needed to emotionally come in here. It would have been a talked about episode. <laughs> Probably so. Okay, uh, Strange Brew with uh, – you go to strangebrewcoffeehouse.com, order all the mugs, the shirts, trinkets, and a great coffee at Strange Brew Coffee House. And, of course, we're in the Farm Bureau studios here in downtown Startville Farm Bureau. Go with the home team at Farm Bureau. Check them out at favorites.com. People have asked us, Charlie, before we get into today, about us not having a Tracks Plus Deep Dig Yes, on Friday, getting into this series. And one of the things, we're going to have a Tracks Plus Deep Dig starting this week against Arizona State. And one of the reasons we did not have the Tracks Plus Deep Dig this past week is, you know, last year, the season opener, we had Long Beach State. We had a lot of stuff to look up. We had a lot of information. We didn't have a whole lot of information about this VMI team. And you know, so, about as deep as you can go is figuring out that some guy on this team was once second team all conference in high school. Yeah, so we didn't which have Which is what most of their players are. Right. Let's be honest. Well, here I go again. I'll leave that for later, but you are right. We did not have a lot that we could dig into here on VMI. A little more that we can dig into here today. I want to ask one thing though before we get into breaking this down. Yesterday, it's no secret that you are running for office attempting to become the next circuit clerk of the great Winston County, Mississippi. You used the word trinkets, which made me think you started your day yesterday 
at a Mardi Gras parade. Okay, so we have not tackled this. I don't think we've tackled t- tackled this on the air at all. And so I guess I need to throw this out there for a disclaimer because sometimes during baseball season you're going to be driving up maybe from Jackson Highway 25 and you're going to see my name on a billboard that says Bart Gregory for Circuit One Clerk. One called that. Once all. And uh, Circuit Clerk of Winston County. And and I'm not going to give you you know the background or whatever out my uh, my brother's mother-in-law is the circuit clerk in Neshoba County. Patty Duncan Lee's been doing this forever, one of the best circuit clerks in the state. And I say that because not only because she's family, but she's really good. And, you know, we have moved back to Winston County a couple of years ago. And so it was something that I'd like to do. A lot of people have asked me about from a broadcasting standpoint and what that does here. Um, that's one of the things we, you know, we'll have to figure out. I think you'll still see me broadcast ball games at Mississippi State. And so that uh, kind of get that out of the way. Unless we ruin that here this morning. Unless we go too far today. But anyway, so just, you know, don't I'm not going anywhere. So But you started your day. But I started my day as candidates for office will do at at a community gathering. And this this shook me. Okay, so yes, yesterday I went to the Noxipater Mardi Gras celebration. They had I a, had no idea there was such a thing. Okay, and, and, almost, and I'm a Winston County guy. Well, I'm a Winston County guy too, and I'm a Nanawoya guy. Even though a lot of people will walk up to me and say, "Hey, I heard you're from Knoxville." No, I'm from Nanawoya, which is a big difference. Okay, there's a huge rivalry between the two, but there are some great people in the town of Knoxville. Chastity Wells married to Chris Wells. Chastity Johnson. I've known that family forever. A couple of years ago, last year was the first year they started. They said, "Hey, we're going to have a Mardi Gras parade in Knoxville." And, you know, not a lot of people will giggle. Okay, of course. But let me tell you this, man. They had a ton of people down there last year, and it was cold, gray skies, whatever. So they amped it up a little bit this year. Man, you have, have you seen the pictures? No, I've not. It's un- it's unreal. They build like a balcony at Woody's and no, beads or anything. Well, that's the next step. Because okay. let me tell you this. Okay, it's Shane working on that. They had thousands, seriously, they had thousands of people in Noxipater yesterday. And it was it was a fantastic event. And you know, as an old Nanawoya boy, sometimes people expect you to throw shade at Noxipater, but they've done it right down there, man. It's pretty cool. So anyway, I started my day at the Noxipater Mardi Gras celebration, and they had that big parade yesterday. Man, yeah, Kevin Weeks, Twyla, Chastity Wells, Chris, you know, Bobby Pierce. Man, I'm telling you, they have done a great job. With that event, and Noxipater has done a good job with a little downtown. So, anyway, that being this said, message brought to you by Bart Gregory. Bart Gregory, <laughs> your candidate for circuit clerk. No, no. so anyway, I anybody start, else in Noxipater we need to name or anything while we're at it? Uh, of course, Woody Reed. Okay, Woodrow, and so he owns he'll Woody's. be building the balcony. Yeah, that's right. So anyway, let's talk about baseball. Yes, and so we come to the ballpark yesterday, and it was clear blue skies, and the temperature was in the low fifties. It was a cool day, a nice day for baseball if you were in the sun. And then the first inning began. In the first inning, VMI is able to push across a run. You had the walk issue early on in the game. Hey, one of the things I look at, Charlie. Well, early in the game. Well, first inning. We had VMI walking guys or us walking guys. We walked the guy in the first inning. Well, we walked guys the whole game. Swain, yesterday, the leadoff guy scored five times, and he had one hit. That was a home run. That was a home run. We'll talk about that later. All right, so looking back at it, we were able to push across a bunch of runs in the first inning. 
because VMI with their starter had difficulties locating in strike zone. I mean, their their starter yesterday, Wilkerson, went two thirds of an inning, gave up eight runs all earned on just four hits. Young guy, stage was a little big for him. It was, and you could tell it was fastball. He could not locate fastball. We were able to jump out to an eight-one lead, two more runs in the in the second inning, and Charlie, we had a ten-to-one lead, and I was thinking it, but I didn't ask you. Man, I wonder how quick we're going to get out of here today. No, I almost looked at you and said, do we have to wait to the seventh inning for the 10-run rule? Yeah, you got 10-run rule after seven innings now. You're up 10-1 to one after two, and all is right in the world, and then the third inning begins. All right, so I went back and watched that third inning. Casey Hunt, our starter yesterday, and so what we did was, I'm going back to Coach Pohl, what we did yesterday is we walked the first four guys in the third inning. And so out of those 16 balls, 16 balls, we had two strikes, right? So we threw 18 pitches to the first four batters of the third inning. 18 pitches thrown, 16 were balls. Out of the 16 balls, 13 were fastballs, three were breaking balls. So we were having difficulties locating fastball. And a lot of things were going on right there in that third inning, right there in that span. I thought it all got started. You had the leadoff guy coming to the plate, and you know, the count's 2-1. KC throws a fastball that I thought – I went back and watched it again. I thought it was over the outside corner. And I thought KC Hunt was kind of like, where, where's that pitch? And I think I said on the air, whoa, where's that? And so then it goes 3-1. He walks the guy on the next pitch. So the next batter comes to the plate, and it's early in the at-bat, and he tunnels a breaking ball. And he throws a nice breaking ball, looks like on the outside corner. Went back and watched it. It looked like it was on the outside corner. The plate was tight at the time, and it was called a ball. And it was almost like that was the turning point of, okay, I got a tight strong strike zone I'm trying to work with. I'm trying to work with my fastball. I'm not, I'm not saying this was all because of umpiring. You don't walk that many guys based on umpiring. But I thought, first of all, let's get it out of the way, Charlie, about – I think this is something you're going to see this season is tight strike zones, very tight strike zones. And the reason I say that is if you come to the ballpark and you, there's a panel right behind home plate up there close to where we are, and it's called TrackMan. And what TrackMan does is it's a software system that tells you launch angle. It tells you miles per hour. It tells you all these analytics, but it also drives in a strike zone that you see – on major league broadcast. And these umpires are graded upon what their track man stats say. And you saw that in league play last year. And so what does that mean? An umpire does not want to call anything that he knows is out of the strike zone. So here, here's my question to you. Is it is it more detrimental for a guy to call a pitch a strike that's actually a ball, that's two balls off the plate, or is it more detrimental to call what is a strike a ball? I am told that in their evaluation system, they are graded more harshly on a missing a pitch outside than they are on losing a strike. Really? Yeah, because of the way the the track man basically measures the center of the ball. But the idea is that you get more forgiveness on missing a strike call than you do on calling balls outside. So basically what they are doing is forcing umpires to tighten that zone. And you think back to the Big 12 of the 1980s where you see a guy like Pete Incavilia hit 47 home runs. Well, there was a there was a hat box size strike zone. 
Yeah. And you can basically just sit in that circle and swing away. I think you are going to see more and more of that. You're going to see pitchers struggling to adjust. Now, part of the challenge, though, becomes when you have big misses, I think it becomes harder. Umpires are still human. They know that they're graded. They know they're going to be choked down on. But big misses make it harder to get calls. You know, think back to a Greg Maddox. And, again, I know this was pre, you know, whatever, track man and, you know, all the Sabre metrics, whatever they use. Stat cast, that's what it is, the yeah. pre-stat cast era. Um, it was like when he started the game, he was hitting the outside corner. And by the end of the game, he had just kind of worked it and worked it and worked it, and he was getting two balls off, three balls off if you're Maddox. But he developed a reputation as a guy throwing strikes. The key is, though, he wasn't having his catcher having to leap out of his stance. And we'll talk about the catching stance here in a little bit, too. So I think to some degree you got to earn that. Um, but I thought there were some big misses. I want to go back. Let's. I want to go back to your kind of approach here, okay, and that is the Ron Polk, we take the card, we go through the ball game. All right? All right. I, we, we got together just a few minutes ago and had our – had our list. You've got the list. And so you start with us. All right. So we've that you hit the first thing I wanted to, which is we, we just had times where we didn't throw strikes. And that is not unique to the starter. Okay. We had a relief pitcher come in, 32 pitches, 16 were balls, issue three walks. I mean, this, this goes down. Everybody who pitched yesterday had struggles with command at times. But any bit, first inning. I thought one of the things that jumped out to me was the difficulty we had getting outs in pitching counts. So, Swaim, the leadoff hitter, the guy who scored five times yesterday, Swaim is down in the count one and two walks. Then he's worked his way around the bases. He scores on an RBI single by Stark, the third baseman, who got a hit on a one-two count. So there's twice in the first inning you say, well, it's only a run, not a big thing. But here you go, right? You've got two guys pitching counts, and this will come up again later, right? I thought not having that out pitch in the first inning will hurt us. Yeah, not having the out pitch. I thought that was the thing, just not being able to put away in the first inning. And then, you know, we were able to get the, the eight runs in the bottom of the first inning where we had four consecutive walks. You know, Caleb Clark singled to right field, and Hancock, Chance, Forsyth, and then Amani Larry walked. And, by the way, Amani Larry hmm. has been really good at the plate here in the first two ball games. And so you, you've got an 8-1 lead after one. You come out in the second inning. Hunter Hines, hey, that was as short of a home run as you could possibly hit. It hit the top of the wall a foot in fair territory, and then caromed off the pole down the right field line. So it was a solo home run to start the second. And then Bryce Chance had an RBI single in the second inning, and you got a 10-to-1 lead. And it was funny. I was talking to my brother yesterday, and he says, hey, they went to church yesterday yesterday afternoon, and he says, hey, I went in, it was 10-to-1. What did the final end up being? And I told him, he was like, you got to be kidding. But So you had a 10-to-1 lead after two, and then the third inning rolls around. All right, you've hit on one thing in the third, and that is the the walk issue. The double steal for me was a low point. 
Yeah, when they scored the run, that was yeah. the, that was the second run they scored that inning. They scored the first run on a wild pitch, uh, so you come out to start the third inning, and Swain walks on five pitches. And I go back to the point of, you know, we threw 18 pitches in the first four batters, and 16 were balls. So walk, walk, and then Swain stole third base, and then you had the wild pitch, then another walk. So here's. I look and, back. And then, so he scores on the wild pitch, but then here to me is a really big sequence. So they have the, the steal of third base and Morris stealing third base, Zach Morris stealing third base. and Yeah, so to go back, let's set this up here, okay? So you go walk, walk. The lead guy steals third. The backside runner still stays where he is. Right. Then you get a steal of seconds. So now you're at second, third. Then you get a wild pitch. Runner comes home from third. Now you've got another walk to Stark. Then Morris, guys, first and second again. Morris, who's the runner at second base, steals third. This is the one where there was a review. Right. And we they called the guy out at third, and then they wanted to review it. They and overturned it. Yeah, and I want to talk about this stolen base a minute. Because when I flagged this earlier, I want to talk about kind of receiving position and things like that. And one of the things that you would have to know is that we talk all the time, and I don't think you and I have brought this up in some of our interviews, but how many times have we talked to guys about analytics and how they're impacting the game? And most of the time I'm thinking about analytics in these ways, the need for spin rate as a pitcher. You go back to the Ethan Small, why was he so good? He had the high spin rate and the ball held its plane visibly different. That's something that we've discovered as we've gotten more data. Launch angle. You know, how batters now, particularly in the major leagues, are swinging up into the ball rather than the old A to C that Ron Polk and those guys used to teach. There are a lot of things analytically in the game. Shifting. You know, putting on the defensive shift, which we haven't seen in two days. That's something that came from analytics because, hey, left-handers, if they hit the ball to the left side, 90% 90% of the time it's going to be in the air. All these things go into it. One of the positions that analytics has hit hardest and is least talked about is catching. And what I mean by that is if we were to go back to the old days and you talked to a Buck Martinez who caught 17 years, that's a guy who took pride in throwing out guys stealing. But over the past four or five years, all these Ivy Leaguers that have gotten into baseball now – they don't really care because in a major league season, what they have figured out is that your ability to receive, your ability to frame pitches and present them to the umpire, catchers who are elite at that can save their team 60 runs over the course of a year. So what's that? Roughly a third of a run a game. Meanwhile, catchers who throw runners out can save their team 10 to 15 runs a year. So about a tenth of a run of a game. Point of that being, what we now value is being in a position, and it's why you see more and more catchers at the major league level on one knee, getting low, getting in the old Tony Pena, trying to frame pitches at the bottom of the zone to get strike calls. If you watched yesterday, Luke Hancock was catching on one knee almost the entire ball game. On that particular steal of third, he had almost gone almost full Tony Pena trying to present the ball. And so this isn't a criticism of Luke Hancock at all. This is a 
this is a decision. It, it wasn't. It wasn't like he booted it. This is what he was. This was on purpose. Right. Right. It was a decision. Not. And so what you see is that pitch comes. It's down. He's when I say full Tony Pena. You'd have to be old to remember Tony Payne. He was a catcher for the Pirates, but he basically was doing the splits behind the plate, right? And people ask the question, why? It's because the lower you are, it's easier for the umpire to call the strike zone. If you're up in the you know, the old school way of getting up with you know, with a runner on base, then all of a sudden you may impede the umpire in his view of the low strike. And the other thing about it is when you start low and you are moving your glove up to catch, everything is moving it into the strike zone. The The reference isn't that you're having to go down to get a ball because it's low. You're having to come up because it's in the zone is the idea. Yes. And analytically, that has to some degree borne itself out. The point of that being, though, that was a pitch where we were in the mindset, and I think we were throughout the game, going back to that analytics mode of trying to present a strike and it didn't look like, candidly, anybody given much thought to that runner trying to steal. I think the throw down to third was like at about 2-1, wow. 2-1-5. And so, point being, that's – Yeah, well, so – You've got to be faster than that to second, much well, less third. That's what I was about to say. You know, you want to be 1-9 to second base. You're start talking about a 2-1 to third. And a lot of that is it was a 3-1 count, and you're trying to frame – and because my wife is listening, I will point out what I mean by that is 1.9 seconds. Yes. Because she'll always, what do you mean 1.9? Right. From the time the ball hits the glove, you're an old catcher. Yeah, time it hits them. And, and hey, all from these glove guys. glove to glove. Yeah, glove to glove. And all the guys in high school that I was around, man, they, they knew that I was obsessed with pop time. That's what you call pop time. The time it touches the mitt to the time it touches the glove of the second baseman. And you were always trying to improve your pop time. And so, you really want a one nine. You see, some guys are elite getting the one eights to second base. Now everybody in high school is claiming that there are things that they're not. Yeah. You know, now everybody they're making up these numbers. But the bottom line is, if you can't go from the time the pitcher lifts his leg to deliver the pitch, getting a, a, the throw caught and down to second base, what do you say, three five? Yeah, three five. Three five is where you got to be to have a chance. Yeah, and if you're not doing that, then guys are going to steal. So it's almost like you're giving away the base because of the way you're trying to present the pitches. And that that's consistent with what we've seen in Major League Baseball. The other thing that happened, and I didn't comment on this on the broadcast, but I started to, and I'm somewhat glad I didn't because I was wrong. I thought that Alford at third had made a mistake. One of the things you see young defenders do all the time is like reach out to catch the throw, and then try to bring it back to make the tag. But you have to let the ball travel through the air so your tag is going straight down. Now, he did catch the ball about three feet in front of the base. I think that's just where he had to catch it. Yeah, sometimes you think as a young player that you can catch and swipe the tag, but it's actually faster to let the ball travel to that point instead of sweeping the tag. And so, yeah, that was a big thing there. And so then they reviewed that. And then they had to go back and review again, Charlie, to make sure it was four balls. All right, and so what impact does that have on your pitcher there? Well, and so then Casey Hunt, who had had troubles throwing strikes, he just walked his third guy of the inning, 
And so then he has time to kind of work on it. He threw like 10 warm-up pitches as they're going back and taking forever to figure out how many how many balls there was on the previous batter. Then he comes out the first pitch is down and in. And then the second pitch, he almost throws it back to the screen that Hancock has to come up and make a, you know, just a, a leaping catch in case he threw his hands to the side as if, uh-oh, I've lost it. Scott Foxhall comes out of the dugout. They have a meeting. And then the next pitch, the next pitch, if you're a VMI, what are you thinking? Okay, this guy's having trouble throwing a fastball. The only thing he's worried about right now, the only thing Mississippi State's worried about right now is this guy throwing strike one. So what do you do? You start the runner from first. And then I thought we played it very poorly. I thought, you know, we, th- we throw it down to second base. The guy takes off from third. He comes in to score. And it was that old double steal, first and third. We just we, – we did not play that clean at all. No, I thought that was – that was a pretty rough sequence right there in the third for us. And obviously at that point, VMI chips into the lead. Um, fourth inning, moving along, we have an issue there. Uh, and that was so. It's two. There's two outs. There's runners on second and third, and they get a swinging bunt to first. Yeah, we come over. We field it. Davis is in the ball game. I think at this point he is. And we're trying to make the feed to first base, and we throw it behind him underhanded from about 15 feet. And again, that's one of those things. If if you were at Major League Spring Training right now, over and over and over, they are working on communication plays, and they're working on that toss play. Yep, underhand toss has got to be right there at that uh, home plate side of the first base bag. It's got to be there. And it's tough. It, it's it's got to be routine. It's a tough play to make. It's kind of like the hold in football. And what I mean by that is I, I can think of nothing that I would rather do less than be a holder <laughs> on a snap because it's very difficult to do. But the expectation is that you do it every single time. It's like a long snapper. It's got to be perfect every time. And and two, you've got a left-handed pitcher. If you throw it behind him, he's got to reach across his body and get the foot down. And so you have to lead that left-handed pitcher well. And it was just behind him. And that allows a run to score right there. It adds another run to it. It makes it – Makes it 10-7. Makes it 10-7 game right there. And that was two outs. Would have had you out of the inning. And so you start to say there's runs all over the place. There's one of them. Yeah, it is. And so then you go to the seventh inning, Charlie. Oh, don't skip the fifth. Well, you. No. <laughs> well, I'm just trying to. <laughs> no, no, because we've got to we got to well, hit one thing in the fifth. And well, because this, this talks about your guy Swain. It, it does. And so you look at Fitzwater after the first outs recorded. Fitzwater draws a walk. He's the nine hole hitter, left handed hitter. And so what that tells me is Davis coming in the left handed pitcher to transfer from VCU. He had walked Trey Morgan right after he came in the game. That was a left-on-left situation. And then he walks Fitzwater, the the nine-hole guy. So what that tells me is your matchup left-hander that comes in in Tyler Davis walks the first two left-handed batters he sees. He goes 3-0 and to Fitzwater, came back and re-engages, and then walks him on the six pitches. And then Swaim, the count's 0-2. He throws a fastball up in the zone. It's fouled back. Fouled back. So it's still 0-2. So he tried to sneak the fastball by him at 0-2 high. And then he's, then you're trying to go breaking ball maybe down and in. I guess that's, it didn't get down and in. No, it ended up a, a, a breaking ball that hung thigh high right down the heart of the plate. And Swain hit a missile. Just a, That ball didn't get 20 feet high. Just a peak. At its highest point. Oh, yeah. Frozen rope, and that makes it 11-9. 
And it was just, you know, it's just little things in there, Charlie. I mean, that's the you look back. We're talking about the effect of losing a game yesterday, fourteen to thirteen, when you had a ten run lead. We're talking about the effect, the the twelve walks. What we're talking about right now is the cause. This is the these are the causes that get you to the effect. And just man, a breaking ball on O two, that's right down the heart of the plate. That's just that's a miss point. No, it is. And so now, where you were headed, the seventh. We had walks again, and I thought there were times in the seventh that we didn't get a call. You pointed something out this morning, and I went back and watched it on video, and you wonder as you look back, do some things lead to you not getting calls? Yeah, and so, you know, we bring in bring in Holcomb. Colby had a great career at Northeast. and Throws he, hard. He throws extremely hard, and you get ahead – one two against Jenkins, a leadoff man, and then you throw a pitch that you think is on the outside corner. It's actually about a ball and a half off the outside corner, and Colby throws throws the pitch, and he turns his back and starts the walk back behind the mound, like he knows the strikeout has happened. The pitch is called a ball, and so Luke Hancock is actually waiting on him to turn back around. And so what that does is. It eliminates any factor that you possibly have on a borderline pitch being called a strike. Yeah, and so you go from there. That was a one-two pitch to you end up issuing the walk. Yeah, so, so it, you know, I, I hate that. That's a teaching moment. That's a, that's a teaching moment. That is a strike in junior college baseball. That is a strike. And that is a strike. And out. it was a strike in the pre-conference season for us last year. It was. That's the one thing that has to be – now, that doesn't excuse 12 walks. I don't mean it that way. But the thing that has to be underlined is this strike zone is smaller this year. Yes. Period. So – Not you, just in the league play. You can't – you you can't uh, – That's that was essentially the same thing as pimping a double is what that was. And so – you you end up walking Jenkins. Jenkins later scored in the inning on a throwing error um, by the, by the left side of the infield. We had three walks there uh, by Holcomb to start the seventh inning. Hey, you mentioned something, and that is error on the left side of the infield. Yeah, it's been tough. Um, We've had four errors on the left side of the infield. And here's the thing that stands out, Charlie, is you've had a bunch of errors on the left side, but there haven't been a whole lot of chances. We've given up a lot of fly balls. We haven't seen a whole lot of ground balls. Now, we've been – you know, Amani Larry is four for four. He's been really good at second base. Hoyle came in late in the first game on Friday, made a play at second base. And so, you know, you've got one error on the right side, and that was that throwing error by, you know, Hines yesterday on that underhand toss we just talked about. But you've got six errors through two games. The other was a wild pickoff by Dome late in the game. Yes, yeah, so you've got four on the left side. So, four on the left side. And I think you've had what? 10, 11 chances? Was it like 12? 12. 12 chances and then, you know, four errors out of the 12 chances. So then you start taking away. Yeah, it's it, it has not been clean at all. Um, Alford has one assist. He's got three ground balls and has two errors. And so uh, Forsyth has three putouts or three assists. He has three assists. A couple of those are double play balls. But two throwing errors. And so – when you start talking about walks and you start talking about making errors on the left side of the infield and you start talking about pop times from catchers, you just, hey, you go to the you go to the ninth inning in the game yesterday and it's oh, a, hey look, we had an error running the bases. 
yeah. in the eighth. And I say an error. So we try to go first to third on a single. We have Kellum Clark sliding into third with the go to the review. And I think I think they would say if we were going back and looking at that one in team meeting that probably didn't have our best slide coming into third. Yeah, didn't extend the leg. I mean, it looked like you were sliding on a you know with with a soap on on the <laughs> the last day of baseball camp on the slide. You know, when you're everybody's doing the slip and slip slide. slide, and so you're sliding in with two knees and, and not extending your leg out. And I thought he was safe. I, mean, I did too. I thought I, I thought I thought he was safe, but extending the leg and taking a regular slide directly into the base that takes away all doubt is what that does. And so you make the second out of the inning at third base and then you you end up not getting anything in the eighth inning, which would have tied the ball game at the time. And then you go to the ninth inning and you got a one run lead. Okay, here's here's the thing, Charlie. I look at the ninth and you know, the first guy Fitzwater singles to left field, advanced to second on a, a throwing error, and then you have a pop up on a bunt. Yeah, hey, if we're going to be critical, Let's I'm going to be critical gonna, of us. No, yeah. I'm going to flag me right here uh, because I, I miss this. Everybody is in early season form, I suppose. Here's Here was the situation there. Um, it's a play where Fitzwater – it was Fitzwater, right? Uh, no, it was Swain. Swain. Now, Pop. who was on first? Oh, Fitzwater was on yeah, first. So Fitzwater was on first. Swain was at the plate. You go to a two-strike pitch. He's already advanced to second. Yes. After the throwing error. Right. But as they have done all weekend long, VMI continues to bunt with two strikes. Most teams take it off. They don't. He pops it up foul. And Larry comes over and makes the diving catch on a ball and foul territory. I'm excited about the great play that Amani Larry made, and it was a great play. It was a very good play. Except for, and this is this is well me. I should have said this, and I missed it. You shouldn't have caught that ball. Just let it drop. Because it's a foul ball, it's strike three. And all you do by catching it is you give Fitzwater, who's running down at second base, a chance to tag up and go to third. Now, he didn't. Larry pops up. But it goes back to that's one of those teaching points that you can make that didn't hurt us. Right. It, it didn't have an outcome, but there is no need to go diving after bunts in foul territory with two strikes. The best thing you can do is let that be a dead ball strike three. And then the next guy, Zach Morris, pops up to third, and so you've got two outs in the inning. And then Stark comes up and singles to right field. First pitch swinging. First pitch singing, uh, swinging to right field. And so you've got Fitzwater at second. Fitzwater had not hit the bag at third yet. Kellum Clark fields it in right field. He got out in a hurry. He came and got it in a hurry. Came, got it in a hurry. Double clutched it just a little bit. But he makes the throw to the plate, and we cut it off with the first baseman. It looked like that throw was on line, and it looked like we had a chance to cut that run at the plate, which was a big run. It's a one-run game. You have got to keep it a one-run game. And just by watching the replay, I thought in real time of like, who, why are we cutting that? And you could see Luke Hancock on the replay. He was visibly upset of why we cut that. Because if you cut that run right there, it's a one-run ball game. Now, now and here's here's to go give you the other side. Watching it real time, and perhaps I'd seen a couple of balls go up the line already. Yeah. What I was thinking is you're probably you're not going to cut him down, and you got to cut it. But I had no idea what the communication was on the field. Yeah. Watching the replay, it it looked like maybe the communication was not to cut it, 
but you do get the out. But here's another teaching point. Well, you flip it underhand into to a Monty Larry behind the runner at first, and so you got the runner in the rundown. And we were fortunate on that rundown. I mean, you had to go to review because you're running a guy to the to the next base. to the advancing base. You never you never run a guy to the advancing base. You got to you got to play the rundown there. If you're going to run a guy back, it's always to the base he occupied. And so I guess I go. We're going back to the point of it's opening weekend, but you're seeing a little some some teaching moments here, whether it be you know being down on a knee and it taking a long time to get a throw off or or a cut or a slide. These are just teaching moments where it's not just all. It's not all. It's a lot, but it's not all on the inability to throw strikes. No, it's not, and. The other thing is, if we win that game yesterday, 11-5, to 11-7, to 7, make one or two more plays, and that's really all you would have had to have done, just make one or two more plays here or there, it, these things still exist. Yeah. And so you still got to gotta address it. Now, it feels like, you know, I'm kind of piling on. I'm not. I mean, I'm just this is just kind of how it, kind of how it is. Um, we've got to improve some things. But the other point of this, and, and this is the thing that I go back to, um, a lot of this is very much fixable. It is. Very much fixable. And here's – so you go back and say, all right, tell me how. Well, the first thing is this. You're going to run Landon Gartman out there today. Gartman, the transfer pitcher from Memphis. If Gartman comes out and throws a clean game, then what you know is, hey, now we got – you know, we got something we can work with. I didn't think Cade Smith was great on Friday, um, but he competed. And, and you know you're always going to get that out of Cade Smith, right? You're always going to get a guy that competes. Cade's, I thought his biggest issue was he ran his pitch count up. Yeah. And and probably, you know, would have liked to have been out there another inning. But let's see what Gartman can do today. And then there's some moving around that we can do. Um we can make adjustments in this pitching staff. Look, we still haven't seen Bradley Lofton. We still haven't seen Gerangelo. Um, we still haven't seen a lot of guys. And here's the thing. This may open up, it, if, as you look back at yesterday, you, you take a guy like um, an Evan Sieri, okay, who, who's a strike thrower. He's not the guy that you would say, man, this guy's stuff leaps off the page at you. But he's a strike thrower. And yeah. all, all of a sudden you start to get some chances. We hadn't seen Pico yet. And so we still got a whole lot more to play with. Now, I suppose that's one of the questions is, why didn't we see Pico yet? Um, Well, we've had 33 hits in two games. We had 16 on Friday. We had 17 hits yesterday. So you look up and down the lineup. Yeah, it's been, you know, first of all, at the top of the order, Monty Larry and Colton Ledbetter have been really good. And so, and Bryce Chance. I mean, so Bryce Chance has had a really good start. So here's the thing. So if we're going to close this thing out, focusing on the positive, all right. If we're going to focus on the positive here and the things that you can build on. Number one, Amani Larry is different than what we have seen at second base the past couple of years, going back to even DeBrule, and then with Jaeger, because when we have seen transfer second baseman, what have we seen? Slow starts. That guy has done the exact opposite. Now, hopefully he doesn't have a slow finish, right? Yeah. But, you know, you got to like what you're seeing. I mean, he, he looks like a guy that goes to the plate with confidence. 
based on what you've seen through a small sample size, you feel good that you got a weapon at the top of the order. So that's good. You feel like you're in a really good spot in the two spot because Ledbetter can hit. Ledbetter can hit. And, and Dakota Jordan's going to hit. Dakota Jordan's going to hit. It'll be fine. I, I said to somebody yesterday, I felt like Dakota Jordan was up there swinging at 90 but getting 84. Yeah. And what I'm, you know what I'm saying? It's like he is just locked in, ready to go. He's aggressive, and he is waiting on somebody to throw him a 92-mile-an-hour fastball, and he's not getting it. Yep. Um, hey, we're going long this morning. <laughs> we, we said we're, we're, we're having prayer meeting this morning is what we're doing. <laughs> and so, hey, before we talk a little bit more about today, I'd uh, like to remind you, we will have our Tracks Plus Deep Dig on Friday. Tracks Plus, now with five locations. Saney Excavators and Mini Excavators, Denny Seamoff Mulching Heads, and the Barco Equipment for the Foresters, Chris Weems, and that great gang down at the Tracks Plus. Go to TracksPlus.com if you're looking for for heavy equipment if you're in the forestry business or in the construction world. And it's just a growing business, and they continue to do a great job. It all started in Hickory, migrated to Starkville, the Summit, and Alexandria, Louisiana, and now in Bessemer, Alabama, over the Birmingham area. And so our friends at Tracks Plus. And also, if you're in the market for a new or used car, go by and see Chris Keene and the folks out at Cannon Ford of Starkville. Cannon Ford just east of Starkville on Highway 182. New or used cars, or if you need a spray-in bed liner, if you need the service center, just need your oil changed, cars, uh, your tires rotated, or you need to see them in the body shop, you got a little fender bender, and need to see somebody that's going to do a great job for you at a very good cost, and that's our good friends at Cannon Ford of Starkville. Charlie, also, yesterday we haven't talked about, we did beat Ole Miss in basketball, 69-61. We go to Oxford, men's basketball, Trail by one at the half, able to tie the game late in the game, stave off a, a final second shot by Ole Miss in regulation, and then outscore Ole Miss 13-5 to in overtime and win 69-61. That was a game we had to have yesterday. You know, bank in a three from the side. <laughs> they uh, all count, man. They all count. <laughs> it's been a while since we've won up there. Yeah, it has been. And we did not play our best basketball yesterday and had 19 turnovers in the game. Ole Miss only turned it over eight times. They took care of the basketball against our defense yesterday. And then the question is this, can you go three and one? Yeah. Can you go three and one to finish out the regular season? It's going to be tough. It, it will. Now, we did hold Ole Miss to 32% shooting from the field yesterday. I mean, they shot 32%, 14% threes. We didn't shoot it well behind the three-point line at all. But, hey, we've gotten all over our guys about missed free throws this season. We were 18 of 21 at the free throw line yesterday in an overtime win. We won it at the free throw line yesterday. How about that? Yeah, how about that? So, so now, you go up to Missouri on Tuesday, and then then you got A&M, A&M next week. Ooh, A&M next week, one. and then and Vandy. Hey, and so here's something else to think about. Vandy beats Auburn yesterday. That's Auburn being Auburn. Vandy moves to 8-6 and six in the league. Here's the important point of that. That's what we needed to happen. Because if Vandy can push themselves into being a quad one team and you go up there and win. Yeah, it helps you out a lot. Now you got another quad one win. So we need we need our opponents in the next few games to keep playing well, right? Yeah, we do. Absolutely. And so Wednesday night hurt. Man, that, that you talk about it it hurt. 
losing to Kentucky, mm-hmm. but it was just one of those games that felt like you were fighting uphill all night long. Had a chance and uh, just couldn't uh, couldn't get it done. But anyway, Missouri this week, that'll be tough on the road. Missouri has played much better at home than they have on the road this year. And so then uh, A&M next weekend. We've got Arizona State coming in here next week. On our show, we'll have our midweek show this coming week, and then our Tracks Plus Deep Dig on Friday and then Sunday Coffee next week. And so that's kind of where we are right now. I'm looking forward to getting together later today to discuss the complete game no-hitter thrown by Landon Gartman. That's how Hey, we did that a couple years ago. You know, a couple years ago we came in here after Kent State had shut us out. And then the next to Luke Albright that day we threw a no hitter combined no hitter on that Sunday. Now I'm not saying we're going to throw a combined no hitter today. Hey, but I take it it's going to be nice weather today. So look forward to seeing all of you out here. Um, well, uh, once again, thanks to our good friends at Farm Bureau. Go with the home team at Farm Bureau. Check them out at favorites.com. Our good friends at Cannon Ford of Startwell. Cannon Ford right here in the city of Startwell, just east of Startwell on Highway 182. Tracks Plus, go to tracksplus.com. Of course, Strange Brew Coffee House and Churn and Spoon Ice Cream. Strange Brew. Talk to Shane. We're going to get that, we're going to get that balcony down at Woody's next year for the Mardi Gras Parade in Noxipater. And so uh, just fantastic people down there. I mean, great people down there with the, the Alliance of Noxipater. And so Charlie's rolling his eyes right now. Um, our good friends at Bank First, go to bankfirstfs.com. We hadn't talked about country pleasing. That's the way I started my day today with some country pleasing pineapple and pork is what I got this morning. And, uh, boy, country pleasing, go to countrypleasing.com. They'll ship it to you. But all throughout the southeast, without doubt. We, we, I saw a message board post the other day about the sausage wars. And let me tell you this. Nothing compares to Country Pleasing. It is not because they're a sponsor of ours. Now, we were on Country Pleasing before they were on to us. Yes, absolutely. It's not as greasy as a lot of them, and some of them are just like horse meat, man. I'm telling you, but Country Pleasing <laughs> is, good, is good stuff. I'm not sure that's in the ad copy. Henry's <laughs> <laughs> sitting down there saying... You know, no, that's not the tagline we're going for. <laughs> yeah. Some of the other guys are serving horse meat. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, let's get back and get a win today. For Charlie Winfield, I'm Bart Gregory. Appreciate you guys listening to us on Sunday Coffee.